the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. SRN New. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. he tells us the depth of man's sin problem he tells us how bad it really was for us then he moves on to speak of God's provision for man in light of his sin problem God in his mercy didn't leave us dead in our sins and trespasses he demonstrated his power and then finally he tells us in verse 10 God's purpose for man in saving him from his serious sin problem The Bible is full of amazing miracles. In John 9, Jesus gave sight to a man born blind. Witnesses were stunned. That was a miracle that could only be done by Messiah. And here, they just saw it happen right in front of them. Others were in awe when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. As impressive as those two miracles were, they were just shadows of the one that happens every time a sinner comes into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus. They were earthly pictures of a profound spiritual truth. We are born blind, spiritually dead, until Jesus gives us spiritual sight so we can see him for who he is and spiritual life when he gives us the faith we need to trust him for who he is. Welcome. This is Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is taking us on a guided tour of Ephesians chapter 2. In the parable of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, Jesus commented that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, the disciples, apparently recognizing that we are all rich to one degree or another, asked, then who can be saved? Jesus responded, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. If you have your Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 2. Here's Pastor Steve. Tonight I want to direct your attention once again to Ephesians chapter 2. So if you'll open your Bibles to chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I want to read to you once again, as we did last week, verses 1 through 10. The apostle writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. These verses are intended to highlight one primary truth. There are many truths in this passage, but one primary truth rises above all others, and all the other truths in this passage point to this truth. And the truth that I'm referring to is the power of God. Specifically, it is the power of God that is responsible for our salvation. Paul's message in these verses is that the the only reason we have been delivered from the wrath of God that we deserve, the only reason, is because God has demonstrated his power in not only saving us, but giving us life because we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And that's really what he's exalting here is the greatness of the power of God. It cannot be appreciated unless we realize how low we were. We weren't simply sick. We weren't partially dead. We were completely dead, spiritually dead. And that's why, folks, in the opening verses of this passage, Paul emphasizes what we once were before we were saved. He says we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, and we evidenced that death. We proved that we were dead by the way that we lived. In that, he says, we walked, meaning our behavior, was such that we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, all scripture has a context. All scripture has a setting. So the question we are asking as we come tonight is, why is Paul teaching about dead souls and the power of God and salvation? Where did this come from? Why is he doing it here at the beginning of chapter 2? What's in the apostle's mind? What is he thinking? Well, the connection goes back to chapter 1, verse 19, that Paul, in that verse, told the Ephesians that one of the things he does when he prays for them is that he prays that they might understand something of the greatness and grandeur of God's power in the life of a believer. Let's look back at actually verse 18 and then 19 of chapter 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and here's what we want to focus on, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Now, The reason that Paul prays for this is so the Ephesians would be certain of future glory. Future glory in the sense of a redeemed body. Paul has taught them in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, that the Holy Spirit has been given to them. The moment they believed, the Holy Spirit was given as a pledge, a down payment, a guarantee that God will complete this salvation by giving them a redeemed body. Right now, our salvation is not complete. Our souls have been saved, but our bodies are still corrupt and fallen. But someday, we're going to have a perfect body, a redeemed body. And the apostle wants to assure the Ephesians that nothing will stop that, neither their sin nor Satan or demons nor death, Because God has the power to pull it off. Look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given 
The Spirit is given as a pledge, which means a down payment, that there's more to come, of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The redemption of God's own possession he's talking about is the redemption of our bodies, which has not taken place yet. And the proof that God is powerful enough to pull all of this off, the proof of that is that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 20, which, speaking of his power, he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So giving life to our Lord's dead body while it was in the tomb where he was buried demonstrated how powerful God is. He raised his son from the dead. His body was really dead. He was dead. Now, as chapter 2 begins, Paul is still talking about the power of God. New chapter, but not a new thought in the apostle's mind. He's still talking about the power of God, only now he illustrates God's power by stating that he is so strong that not only did he give physical life to Christ's dead body, but he gives spiritual life to those who were once spiritually dead. Now tonight, like us to continue what we started last Sunday night by examining these truths found in the opening verses of Ephesians 2 because they enable us to see just how dead and lost we once were. And it's against this very background that God's power is exalted. When you realize how hopeless we were, how dead we were, how lost we were, you understand that God is to be praised for demonstrating his power in our lives. And as I told you last week, the way Paul organizes his thoughts in this passage is that he explains how God's power is demonstrated in saving man by telling us three issues relating to man. Number one, he tells us the depth of man's sin problem. He tells us how bad it really was for us. Then he moves on to speak of God's provision for man in light of his sin problem. God in his mercy didn't leave us dead in our sins and trespasses. He demonstrated his power. And then finally, he tells us in verse 10, God's purpose for man in saving him from his serious sin problem. Now, last Sunday, we only had time to just really scratch the surface of verse 1. So I want us to continue tonight as we look at how God's power is demonstrated in the depth of man's sin problem. Verse 1 of chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, in this statement, Paul tells us the condition of all unconverted people, all unsaved people, all people before they were saved. He tells us that we were dead. And he certainly doesn't mean physically dead. We were spiritually dead. It's a critical truth to know. It's not an easy truth, though, for people to hear or grasp because we'd all like to think a little bit better of ourselves than we really are. But Paul's analysis of our spiritual condition is not complimentary. He tells us that we were dead, meaning we were totally unresponsive to God. We had no relationship with him, no intimacy with him, no personal walk with him, nor did we want to have a relationship with him. You see, contrary to what some people believe, even some Christians, they believe that before our conversion, we were somewhat neutral towards God. Not hostile towards him, but neutral. But the Bible says that's not the case. We were hostile towards him. 
I know there are people, they probably tell you, they tell me this, I've always loved God. Nobody's always loved God. Now, you may have loved a God you created in your own mind, but you didn't love the God of the Bible. The Bible says we were born hostile towards God and completely uninterested in having anything to do with godly matters. This is why your non-Christian friends aren't interested in what you have to say to them about Christ. Unless God is opening their hearts to the gospel, they're spiritually dead. So not only does the Bible not make any sense to them, which it doesn't because the natural man, Paul said, does not receive the things of the Spirit, but they don't care to hear what the Bible says. They just don't care. They're not interested. One Bible teacher commenting on Romans 8, 7, which is a key verse where Paul writes that the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. He means unsaved people, hostile towards God. He summed up this Bible teacher summed up the unsaved person's attitude towards the things of the Spirit by saying, not only are the unsaved hostile towards the things of God, but they're simply uninterested in them. Here's what he writes. They are interested in the things that correspond to the flesh. They are not interested in the things of the Spirit. The man who is not a Christian knows nothing about these things and doesn't want to know about them. He's not interested in them. He thinks they're terribly boring. The man who's not a Christian finds the Bible very boring and expositions of the Bible very boring. He doesn't find films boring. He doesn't find the newspapers boring. He doesn't find the novels boring, but he finds these things boring. He does not enjoy conversations about the soul and about life and death and heaven and God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He can't help it, but he just sees nothing in it and he's not interested He is interested in men and their appearance and in what they've done and what they've said. The world and its affairs appeal to him tremendously. The position is perfectly simple. These other things are spiritual. They are God's things. And that kind of man sees nothing in them. Why? Because he is dead and he has no spiritual life. So Paul says, our condition before conversion is that our souls were dead, spiritually dead, without any connection to God, without any responsiveness towards God. But I want you to notice how he describes our dead condition. He doesn't just say you were dead. He says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, let's understand what he's talking about. Paul is not saying that we became dead because we committed certain sins and trespasses. That is not what he's saying. Rather, what he is saying is that our whole existence was in the state of sin, in the realm of sin. That is to say, we were all born with a sin nature. A nature is what you really are. You can't act contrary to your nature. A dog acts like a dog. A cat acts like a cat. A human sinner acts like a human sinner because that's the nature. We were all born with a sin nature, And that's the state of being that we lived in. This was our very sphere of existence. Trespasses and sins. This was all we ever did before we were saved. Now, I know that that is a hard truth for many to accept because we look around and we see many unsaved people who live decent lives. And they do. They do. There are many non-Christians who would do what we would call, for lack of a better term, natural good. They obey civil laws. They obey the government. They conduct themselves in generally a virtuous manner. They work hard at their jobs. 
They love their spouse. They love their children. And on and on it goes. Jesus himself acknowledged that the unregenerate do some good. There's no denying that. He said this in Luke 6.33. If you do good, speaking to believers, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Jesus said that there are certain unsaved sinners who do good. This is the natural good that I was just talking about. So we acknowledge that. But all the natural good that men may do doesn't negate the fact that they were born in trespasses and sins, and that's the sphere and the only sphere they lived in before salvation. See, the word, let's back up and say this. The word trespass means to deviate from the straight and narrow path. That's what the word means, meaning the path of God's word. We deviated from that. We didn't stay on the path. We went off the trail. And the word sin simply means to miss the mark, as in missing the mark of God's standard of holiness, his perfection. We were not perfect, and that's the standard. Therefore, regardless of the good things that an unregenerate individual may do, he's still in total sin. Why? Because nothing he does stems from a desire to please God, to honor God, to glorify God. Nothing he does, and therefore he misses the mark. This is why Paul declares in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, the the realm of sin that we existed in wasn't merely a a single sin here or there. It it was an entire state of, of being in which we were constantly, constantly, without exception, falling short of God's glory. What is his glory? It is the perfection of his holy character. So no matter what we did, we continually missed the mark of God's perfection, even if we did natural good. Now, for some, some people express their sin more than others. That's absolutely right. There are different degrees of, of how people express sin, different forms of how they express sin. But all unbelievers, and this is Paul's point, live in the state of sin so that they are constantly in rebellion Towards God, regardless of their outward behavior. They fail to measure up to God's perfect standard of holiness. That's the standard. Now, folks, let me tell you why so many people, including some Christians, object to this doctrine of man being dead in his sins and trespasses and therefore being powerless to respond to God on their own. It's because this teaching has a very low view of man. That's why. It's contrary to what he likes to think about himself as being great and exalted. And he's offended to hear that he's a dead and powerless creature. That's not, that's not good for his self-esteem. That he's unable to respond to God. He wants to think of himself as free, free to do anything he wants to do, even accept God if he chooses to do so. But tied together with the truth that man is dead, in his sins and trespasses, is the biblical doctrine that man's will is not free to choose God because his will is in bondage to his sin. Therefore, he doesn't have the capacity to choose God. He is absolutely incapable of choosing God. All he can do is choose the way that he is going to express his sin. That's a hard doctrine to receive, but that's precisely what Scripture teaches. Romans 8, verse 7 says, because, and I paraphrased it earlier, but Paul said, 
because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It's not able to do it. It doesn't want to do it. It's not able to do it. See, the only man who ever had a free will was Adam before the fall. He had a free will. He could choose to follow the Lord or or not. But once Adam sinned and fell, not only did he lose his free will, but everyone after him lost a free will because we became slaves to sin. We have a sin nature which put us in the perpetual state of being dead in sins and trespasses. And the proof that all men prior to conversion are spiritually dead and slaves of their own sin, existing in the realm of their sins and trespasses, the proof is the way that we once lived before our salvation, the way that we conducted ourselves before Christ by his power saved us. Now let's move on, because notice how Paul describes, as he moves on in verse 2, the way that we once lived. He says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, first of all, Paul says that before our conversion, we walked in our trespasses and sins. Before he said we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now he says that we walked in them. And we walked in them according to the course of this world. Now, what does Paul mean by this? Well, Paul is using the word walk, not in the sense of physically walking, but in the sense of behavior, our lifestyle, the way we carried ourselves, our conduct. And he's using the word world to speak not of the created physical world, but rather of the world's value system, the way the unsaved world of people, how they think, how they look at things, in other words, their outlook what we would call the secular world, society without God. That's what he's talking about. Now, Paul says that all unsaved people walk according to the course of this world, which means that they live according to the spirit of this age, which is an attitude that is governed by shutting God out of all things. In fact, in Galatians 1.4, he speaks of this, this present evil age. That's what he's talking about here. It's an attitude, the world that we live in has an attitude of shutting God out of things, living by its own set of values and outlook, its own mentality. It's a world without God. It may give lip service to God, but it's basically a world of rebellious people who do things without God. See, this is why unsaved people, and this is a profound truth, but this is why unsaved people are so similar in so many ways. Similar in their outlooks, why they believe and think so often alike, what their values are very similar. What they believe and think is dictated to them by the latest that's on television, the internet, the news media, films. It's what John Stott referred to as cultural bondage. Cultural bondage. The culture sets their values. They think and believe whatever their culture tells them to think and believe because they walk, as Paul says, according to the course of this world, which has its own ungodly 
ways of looking at things and thinking about things. In 2 Corinthians 10.4, Paul likened this world's system of thought to a fortress from which the unsaved need to be rescued. He said, For the weapons of our warfare are not against the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The truth, God's Word, sets us free from that fortress, and it's only effective as the Holy Spirit empowers us to understand, and especially to trust. Thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in Clearwater on a Sunday, come on over for a visit. Pastor Steve and everyone else at Lakeside would like to welcome you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Today's broadcast, along with hundreds of previous ones, is available for free streaming or download at versebyverseradio.org. Click on the Message Archive tab. It's an easy way to catch up if you've missed the first two programs in this series about the power of God in salvation. That's versebyverseradio.org. There are many stories that involve a hapless victim who is enchanted in some way so that he or she sees only the reality that someone else wants them to see. How ironic that the writers of those stories, unless they've been given spiritual life and sight by God's grace, are themselves blind captives to an enchanter who bends all his will toward keeping them in that lost state. This is Jerry Peterson. Join us for the next Verse by Verse as we continue in Ephesians 2, and Pastor Kreloff shows us how the unsaved are controlled by Satan, the ruler of this world. You've got to be good enough, work enough, sweat enough. Christianity says you don't have to do any of that. You come to me. It is my life lived through you. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTB. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.